For many people, the week that begins today and ends in the celebration of Christmas is one of the most carefully planned ones of the whole year. And much of it has to do with pure logistics. If things go according to plan, a lot of things have to happen as well. Planes need to be on time, trains, buses, roads need to be clear, lines need to be short, schedules need to be kept. Everybody needs to do exactly what they're supposed to do. And for a lot of people, it isn't just about getting from point A to point B. It's about getting from point A to point D via B and C along the way to make it all come together. And also, a lot of the planning that is done for this week ahead of us is very relational. Some of us work hard to come up with ways to see multiple friends and family in different places at different times without ever feeling rushed in any one of them. And a lot of us do our best to observe family traditions that have special meaning for us and for other people. We try to take time amidst all of this for the things that matter most to us in these holy days. And I'm sure in families and circles of friends where there is conflict or tension, some may even be planning very carefully how to navigate that, how to avoid certain conversations or maybe even certain people in order to preserve the peace. Those among us who experience more intense grief and loneliness during these days around Christmas also have planning to do in this new week. In many cases, strategies are needed in order to deal with the feelings and the emotions that are so close to the surface. Plans in those cases, too, have to be made that take these struggles into consideration. Plans that protect us from things that we know will push us beyond our limits. And in all of this, of course, we would also love to have complete control. As in the rest of life, we would love to have power over everything that could derail or dismantle or even destroy the perfect plans that we have for ourselves and for our loved ones. But we know from experience that that isn't the reality that we live with. And the gospel story that we just heard is one that makes that expressly clear. Consider Joseph, a man who also loved to make detailed plans. When he was ready to get married, he found a young girl named Mary, and he made all of the arrangements for that to happen, for her to become his wife. First, there were all of the things related to the formal engagement, which had to be done in accordance with the laws and traditions of his faith community. Next on Joseph's list, we assume, was the marriage. Then he and Mary would settle down in Nazareth and start a family. When Mary was pregnant, she would go to her mother's, probably, where there would be other women to be with her while she gave birth to a child. And then when she came back to Nazareth, they would settle down and start a peaceful life together. And if Joseph had such expectations, they certainly were not extraordinary. 
And to begin with, things did seem to be going according to plan. Arrangements were made with Mary and with her family, and the engagement period began. But then it all started to unravel. First came the news that Mary was pregnant. Joseph knew he wasn't the father, so he knew he had to abandon his plans. He had to abandon the plans he had made to marry her. And in his male-dominant culture, he knew that Mary could have been punished or even put to death for what would be understood as a breach of a marriage covenant. But Joseph the planner came up with a much kinder alternative. He decided to dismiss her quietly and start a new chapter of his life. I think it was maybe his way of trying to get some control back, something that he could be the one making decisions about, right at a time when it felt like all of that was slipping away from him. But as we know, the story didn't end there. For Joseph, there were many, many more disruptions to come. As the narrative continues, I can't relate personally to the experience of hearing the voice of God through an angel in a dream. But Matthew tells us that Joseph did, that he heard that voice clearly, and that the message caused him to abandon his plans once again. So instead of doing what he had planned, instead of dismissing Mary, Joseph awoke from his dream, and he did the exact opposite. As Matthew says quite simply, he rose and took Mary as his wife, entrusting obedience. Martin Luther said that that obedience and trust, along with Mary's acceptance of God's plan and will for her life, are the real miracles of the Christmas story. And I agree, when, when human beings let go of the need and the desire to be in control, and accept the dominion of God, that is nothing short of a miracle, both then and now. It continues to be something that when we see it, we recognize the work of God. And that trusting obedience is also a way to live with the fact that very few things in our lives can be controlled by us as human beings. Even if we live with the illusion, which most of us do, that we can one way or another, that we can somehow be masters of our own destiny. In Joseph and Mary's time, Romans were the one that ones that probably felt that more strongly than anyone. Roman leaders were sure that they could control everything, backed by an incredibly efficient and powerful military, they made decrees and demands and they expected that people would obey because they could ruthlessly enforce all of that. And it must have felt good for them to see Jews like Joseph and Mary abandon everything and jump and march to their orders and leave and go to Bethlehem as they had demanded them to do. As far as control goes, that's about as good as it gets when you can just get anybody to do anything you want out of threat. 
But little did the Robins know that a child born under that forced migration would establish a new kind of kingdom that would endure long beyond their own. Within a few hundred years, the power and influence of the Roman Empire would be gone. But here we are today, still telling the story of a truly sovereign God whose kingdom has no end. And ever so slowly, and in our better moments, we are learning to let go, to let go of this notion that we can be in control of things in our own lives. And in our better moments, and in these holy days perhaps, we're learning to live with the promise that this eternal God is truly with us and for us, even when everything else seems to be falling apart. Many of you may have already experienced change and disruption in the plans that you made for this coming week. So you can relate to this promise, perhaps, in a very personal way. And if history is a teacher for us, I would expect that most of us will have that feeling at some point along the way during this week now that lies ahead. So what can we do when things are beyond our control? If we take our cues from Mary and Joseph, we can begin by trusting that God will be with us no matter what happens from now until Christmas Day. And if that holy presence of God is found in the carefully made plans, the logistics, the relational plans that we have made, then that is all well and good and we can be thankful. But it's also a very holy thing when we experience that presence of God in the broken places of our life. When we experience it in the consolation that we receive from God as we grieve. When we sense that presence of God in the peace that we find in the midst of stress and chaos. When we find it in light that shines somehow into the darkness of our loneliness or our fear. And when we, by the grace of God, are given the ability to accept our limitations and our weaknesses. And certainly when we find in all of this again the promise that no matter what happens to us and those around us, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With Mary and Joseph, you and I can also let these days of Christmas be a time of reorientation in our lives. Letting go of the need to be in control is not only important during this week before Christmas, it is fundamentally important in the life that we live beyond that, in every day of our earthly pilgrimage. In my own pilgrim walk to Santiago de Compostela, I remember speaking with a local priest who talked about his observation of the difference between tourists and pilgrims. Tourists, he said, have careful plans for every day, and they're always disappointed 
if things don't go as expected. A late train, a closed museum, an unexpected storm, an altered itinerary, he said, are always things that just ruin the trip for tourists. But for pilgrims, he said, things like that are all part of the experience. When change occurs against their will, they say, I wonder what this will teach me. I wonder what I will discover here. I wonder what new doors will be opened for me. Joseph and Mary were not tourists. They were pilgrims. And they were on a journey to a place of deep trust in God's will and also to a place of brave obedience to God's call, no matter how and where and when that came to them. And in the days ahead, may it be so for us as we experience all of the joy and the peace and the wonder that is present wherever God comes to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you